Talkers. Welcome to Speak and Destroy, Episode 74. Speak and Destroy is a podcast featuring interviews about Metallica, and I am your host, Ryan J. Downey. My guest this episode is Skylanders Academy creator Eric Rogers, who tells the story of getting James Hetfield to voice werewolf musician Wolfgang in the hit animated series, which ran for three seasons on Netflix. Based on the Activision game series, Skylanders Academy also featured the voice talents of Justin Long, Ashley Tisdale, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul's Jonathan Banks, Bobcat Goldthwait, and my favorite comedian of all time, Norm MacDonald. Eric talks about working on the Emmy-winning series Futurama, the ups and downs of developing Skylanders Academy, and of course, Metallica. If you'd like to support this podcast, I would like to ask you to go into Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating, and write a nice little review. Like this one from Marty McFly. That's what it says. Great Metallica podcast. Great music podcast. I love hearing how other artists have been influenced by Metallica, but also how Ryan dives into each guest's own music and musical journey. The Jeremiah Scott episode is a great place to start. Thanks, Marty McFly. I agree. It's a pretty good place to start. This review comes from two-time Speak and Destroy guest, Doc Coyle of Bad Wolves and formerly of the band God Forbid, which says, for the real Metallica fans, I'll pretty much follow anything Ryan Downey does. Same, likewise, back at you, Doc. With Metallica being my favorite band, this is right up my alley. It's just like my friends and I debating Metallica lore amongst ourselves to all hours of the night. You can find me on Twitter at Ryan Downey and on Instagram at SuperheroHQ. You can find Speak and Destroy at SpeakandDestroy.com as well as on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And please subscribe to this podcast as well as the others in the Pop Curse Podcast Network, which includes Pop Curse, Musicians Talking Movies, and No Prize from God, which features conversations with creative people, about belief, unbelief, and everything between. So here it is, my conversation with Skylanders Academy creator Eric Rogers. This is Speak and Destroy. You know, and this is by no means an original quote uh, because I've, I've, I took it from somebody else. But, you know, there's that thing about being a writer means having homework every day for the rest of your life. And yes. Boy, is that true. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's such a uh, blessing and a curse because it's like so much fun when you're actually uh, getting paid to actually write the, th- write the thing. Uh, but all the rest of it is such a pain in the ass, you know, the, the, the meetings and the, uh, the, you know, thinking of the idea and, you know, mm-hmm. all the, and then all the, uh, if you get a show going, all the bureaucratic garbage that comes with that. So, you know, it's, uh, not to, not to knock any of it. It's just, uh, it's a grind. <laughs> yeah. Everything, everything has its ups and downs, which I think is people, exactly. people uh, don't often realize, uh, when it comes to the more, 
you know, the entertainment world and, and things like yeah. that. Um, so one thing I like to do with every guest is just to talk a little bit about what music was around uh, when you were a kid, kind of what your first encounters were uh, and, and what uh, sure. art inspired you and that sort of thing. And, and at what point you made the turn where you knew you had to be more than a fan. You needed to participate in creating the kind of stuff that you loved, like what that, what that moment was or, or right on. transition uh, was. So yeah, walk, walk me through that a little bit. Yeah, that's, these are, yeah, these are great questions. Uh, so, you know, I grew up in a house that, that wasn't necessarily very artistic at all, you know, very blue collar. Um, uh, but, um, you know, my dad was a big rock and roll fan, you know, he's a child of the sixties. Um, and you know, uh, it, 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 it's funny because I, I don't think I appreciated it at the time, but looking back on it, you know, I realized he, there was a lot of Led Zeppelin played in the house. There was a lot of Rolling Stones, um, um, a lot of Ozzy Osbourne, uh, you know, like, so he liked, he liked his stuff darker. Um, my mom was kind of like neither here nor there with all of it, but we listened to a lot of pop radio in the car. So I was more of a, a pop radio kid um, in the eighties, you know, so it was more, you know, like my first real like music uh, appreciation came with Michael Jackson. Mm. And, you know, obviously this is, this is when we all thought Michael Jackson was nice and safe and, <laughs> not a I don't know I don't know what you're referring to (laughs) yeah yeah this is this is the Michael Jackson who you know who was making these amazing videos and you know I I, you know you'd watch Thriller and I wanted to emulate those dance moves and you know I um so and then MTV obviously too like I'm a kid of MTV a child of MTV you know and, and and when MTV uh hit the air you know it was it was really formative, you know, like I love music videos. Um, you know, it's funny. I was thinking, um, a little bit about Metallica before um, coming into this. And I remember think, you know, remember how, how, how much I was struck by one and how different that, that, uh, yeah. that video was at that time for any group, but particularly for a group that sounded like Metallica, you know, like it was so artistic and it was so, like it's just this is next level you know and i know i know i'm like the gazillion person to say that but um so you know so yeah so long long long-winded story here like mtv was really a big deal um and then i kind of became this hip-hop kid in high school and um really got immersed in that like you know late 80s early 90s was just really into rap and hip-hop and an amazing era for that too yeah i mean it it was a golden untouchable yeah yeah, really the golden age of hip hop. I, I think most of it today is garbage, um, but thank God for, you know, those years. Um, and then I, and then it, it's interesting because I, I started to ease my way into a little more uh, stuff that was a little harder. And I think that it's, I think hip hop via the Beastie Boys was my, my bridge from hip hop to like kind of harder edge hip hop with the Beastie Boys and what they did on Check Your Head and what they did on No Communication. And then I'm entering college and I went to school at Miami University, which is in Southwestern Ohio. And they had Hmm. a indie rock station there called 97X. 
Um, and if and you I, remember I, from real, I, I grew up in Indianapolis, and we had I think oh. it was I think it was ninety one X. Yeah, oh. sorry, yeah, something yeah. we had we had one of those X stations, the alt rock. Yeah, yeah, right. They all had to have an X, right? Yeah. Um, so so here I am now in the early nineties, um, you know, in in college, and you know now I'm starting to really get into real music, like not real music, not to say that anything I was talking about before wasn't, but like bands that are like on the fringe and like, you know, bands that are up and coming, like, you know, the the, the early days of Pavement and Smashing Pumpkins and, and Juliana Hatfield and Jeff Buckley. And, you know, like, so really at this point, I'm starting to to get into that, you know, kind of, you know, look back, looking back on it, it's kind of cliche, but really like, you know, jumping into the grunge and, you know, just what, mm-hmm. you know, any kid of the nineties is really immersing himself into. And, you know, th- that hard rock, that hard rock grunge stuff really took, you know, stuck to my, stuck to my rib cage too. So, you know, I got into Soundgarden and, and Nirvana, obviously and Pearl Jam and Allison Chains. And, you know, so as I'm sitting here speaking, you know, you can kind of hear that like my music tastes have been all over the map mm-hmm. and I've been a music fan for, me my entire life and and now strangely enough the stuff that i love most is edm i like like i love like especially like the harder stuff that that uh, some of those producers make so it's it, i'm a i'm a weirdo man like i've got <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean th- these are the people i connect with though and i and i think yeah. it's it, it might be emblematic of our our generation x-ness that we have yeah. this sort of um we're like the ipod shuffle people you know, even though that came yeah. later, later for us, but that yeah. we, yeah. And I, and I, a lot of my friends, it's like, we've gone through phases, right. Where, yeah, you know, I was really into punk and new wave as a kid. And then I right into thrash metal and all through yeah, you know, yeah. seventh, eighth, ninth grade, I was denim jacket, long hair patches. All yeah. that. And then, then it was punk and hardcore. And then, yeah. you know, in my twenties, there was a period where, uh, it's all about Britpop, and I had like Liam Gallagher oh, sure. haircut, and everything was <laughs> pulp and blur and Oasis, and yeah, and, and then yeah. yeah, and then there's hip hop, right? That same stuff that that you were talking about, that same era yeah. that was big for me. And I think that it, uh, as much of a hodgepodge and kind of a, a quilt as it seems like, I think that it's made us more well-rounded people. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, even absolutely. even when you think about like you know a lot of stuff that's happening with like woke culture right now, it's like yeah, uh-huh. Uh-huh. dude, I was fourteen listening to X Clan and KRS One, and uh, you know right. a lot of these ideas yeah. that are getting into popular culture now are not new, and, yeah. and for those of us who were more on the fringes experiencing yeah. things through, I was just, you know same way, dude. I mean, I, I it's so funny. I'm like a fifteen year old kid listening to Public Enemy, like I like yeah. Fear of a Black Planet was massive for me, you know, um, and, and, you know, I'm this, this dopey, cheesy white kid from, you know, Middletown, Ohio, walking around, you know, spitting uh, the lyrics to Welcome to the Terror Dome, you know, and, yeah. and I don't know necessarily <laughs> what I'm saying when I'm, when I'm you know, <laughs> right. rhyming, rhyming these songs, but all I know is, and this is, I think, the, I think this is what, why music and art is so amazing, like, all I know is how it made me feel while mm-hmm. I was sitting, you know, driving around in my car, you know, you know, listening to that song and rhyming along with it or rhyming along to like Mama, Mama Said Knock You Out or, you know, any of Tribe Called Quest stuff. And yeah. it's, uh, it, you know, as you get older and you get some wisdom and you and you look back on, you know, what you actually were into, you're like, oh, you know, what they're talking about 
means something way different to other people than what it meant for me. And maybe mm -hmm. I should take a second <laughs> and, <laughs> and reflect a little bit on what yeah. Public Enemy or KRS-One or, you know, MC Light or any of those awesome, you know, MCs were talking about in these songs as opposed to yeah. just the, the, the way it made me feel. But, you know, at the, at the, at the end of the day, that is, that is why music is amazing. It's like, it, because how, the, how it makes you feel. And then if you get that, if you get that extra bonus of this is about something, this is, yes. this is not just pop to make you feel good. It, it, it's just icing on the cake. So, um, yeah, I love it. I love that we're talking music, man. I don't get a chance to do this often. <laughs> <laughs> I figured that would be part of the fun of the invitation. And I try to, I try to have conversations like this. Yeah. Where we get to, uh, yeah. Musicians talking movies and movie people talking music and yeah. stuff that, I, that I love. Uh, that's awesome, man. Yeah. I, I find that I also respond to art and music that has something to say and that doesn't have to be political spiritual it doesn't have to be like a yeah. specific you know tradition that they're pushing on you but just that there's it has a meaning behind it where you get the sense that if this person wasn't creating that art that they'd be you know dead or in jail or something you know yeah, that it's like this sure. is the thing that they have to do um yeah for sure man and i would certainly put the same passion into uh, film and TV and, and animation and a bunch of stuff that, that yeah. has been part of your life and your career. Um, yeah. Where did that stuff enter into? What's kind of the origin story of, of you getting to do that professionally? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I, you know, uh, just kind of circling back to one of your original questions, you know, when did, when did this become a, a thing that I knew I was going to pursue as opposed to like a hobby? And I kind of knew, I knew in high school that I, I, I had a, I had a, I hate though using the word gift because it sounds so pretentious, but it was a gift. And, you know, I had a teacher that, um, you know, I had written a story for him and um, it was kind of this overwrought and diehard knockoff. Mm -hmm. um, and, but that was a whole subgenre where you had like diehard in a hockey rink with Van Damme yeah. and diehard yeah, on a ship with Seagal. And yeah, it was a whole, someone exactly. needs to do a, a program, a festival that's just diehard in a blank <laughs> and just show all 10 of those movies. Right. I would yeah. Yeah, shut up and take my money. That was yeah, exactly. um, me too. But uh, yeah, I mean, I had this, I had this uh, teacher that, that, that you know, took me aside and he said, Hey, you know, this, this is, this is something that you're really good at. And I think you should keep going with it. And, you know, I always loved, I always loved the process of writing. You know, I think that is, you know, as much as, um, you know, when anybody ever asks me, you know, like, what's the most, like, what are the important parts of what, what's important about pursuing this as a career? And it's, and it's not that you just have, not that you just want to tell stories and you have a good story in your head, but you have to love the grind. You have to love the discipline of it. That is what writing is because it, mm. it, is, it is committing yourself to sitting down in front of a pad of paper or your laptop every day and putting that stuff down and, and, and really going from A to Z as far as, you know, completing something. So um, I always love that part of the process. So, um, so I, so let's see. I met in my senior year of high school. My mom worked for a guy whose daughter was a writer on China Beach uh, out here in LA. And I met her and uh, she told me about the, how she had this career as a TV writer. And like, I, then I had stars in my eyes. I was like, TV yeah. writer? What the? That sounds amazing, right? Yeah, like, that's po that's possible? Like, people do that? that? Yeah. That was really it. Yeah. Like, I never thought, you know, in all of our time growing up and watching television, that there was 
actually people sitting in a room writing scripts and, and you know getting right. paid to do it i just you know just loved what i was a, watching a so. writer's room <laughs> you mean just <laughs> exactly. like hanging out with 10 yeah. other me's <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. exactly yeah. so she uh i told her and i said that sounds amazing how, do, how does one do this and she said look you know go to college get your degree uh, when you get to your senior year, if this is something that is still, if you're still passionate about, please give me a shout. So I got to my senior year. I had bounced around with majors. I had, you know, been an education major at one point, thinking I was going to be a teacher. Um, I was a lit major, and I ended. I stayed stayed a lit major, but I also threw the creative writing major onto it um, because I was like, I, I want to write. I got to do this. Um, and I ended up writing her a letter my senior year of college saying, Hey, I really want to come to LA and give this a shot. She wrote me back with her phone number. She said, when you get here, give me a shout. Um, and if I can help you, I will help you. So August of 1995, I throw all my stuff into my car where me and a buddy drive out here. Uh, and, uh, I, I let her know I'm here. And, uh, two weeks later I had my first job in the industry. She, wow. I had lucked out. I'd lucked out in the sense that she was on a show uh, for Stephen Bochco uh, called Murder One, and the PA position had just uh, come open because the kid who was doing the job had a mental breakdown or something. So um, there was this wide open job, and she slipped me into it. And uh, I, from then on, it was you know I was in the TV industry. And great thing about being a PA is that. Uh, and, and you know, I, if I, if you know all this, I, you know, I apologize. I'll, oh no, no, I love, I love hearing it. And, and okay. regardless of whatever I know, people listening don't know or do. Yeah, great. That's yeah, yeah. yeah. Keep going. So yeah. you know, part of being a PA is that you get to see what everybody on a show, what all their jobs are. You know, from mm -hmm. the art department to the writing to the producers, directors you know, the craft service dude. And if you want to work in television, you really get that bird's eye view of this is what everyone does. So you know, I took all that in. I was like, yeah, I still want to be a writer. I, I love, I, I think, you know, I was like, this is so, this is so the grind, like, and TV writing is there is, is, is the, is really more of the blue collar writing of our industry because it really is that nine to five or, you know, not nine to five, more like 10 to eight job where you, you are working all day, Monday through Friday and some weekends. And um, I love that, you know, and I guess that's the, um, I guess that's the blue collar in me, mm -hmm. <laughs> my, my, my background where I was like, you yeah. know, I like working. I, I, I like, uh, I like, I, I like doing stuff during the day and not wasting my time. So, mm -hmm. you know, the TV writing thing really, um, was the jam for me. So, um, uh, I was working on a couple of years, a couple of years for Botchko. Then one of the shows I was on got canceled. And um, I caught a really, I caught another super lucky break in my career because I was unemployed for about six months. And um, I thought, you know, okay, this isn't working out now. I should throw in the towel. And I was going to say that those are those moments where it's really easy to go, well, I guess that was that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's where it was. And I, you know, I started, I started going down the, uh, the, the, the path of, okay, I'm going to teach, you know, I guess this is, you know, this, this other stuff's not working out. And um, somebody from 20th Century Fox gives me a call um and says hey we got your resume here um and, and the funny thing was is i don't to this day I, I don't know how they got my resume i don't know how they got my resume it's 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 a crazy set of circumstances but they say to me on the phone uh matt graining you know who that guy is uh he's yeah, he's got a new show and i'm like 
uh, yeah, I, I know who Matt Groening is. You know, the, the guy, the, the, the Simpsons, the, the, the house that built Fox. I mean, come on. Yeah. Um, and then they say, yeah, he's, theme, he's doing theme, theme song from the guy from Oingo Boingo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever heard of David Bowie? Uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, they say, yeah, he's got this new show starting right now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's only a pilot script written in and they need a writer's assistant. And that was Futurama. And um, I went in for that job and, and, you know, I, <laughs> I had no, I had no hope that I was going to get this job because at this point in my time, I was like just this shitty like alt kid who like was wearing like hand me or not hand me down um, second, second hand clothes from like the consignment shop. You mm-hmm. know, it was like, it was totally that beastie boys thing where like, yeah, I'm just going to go buy big, big shirts and wear yeah. wear pumas and baggy pants yeah I do I'm, gonna, I'm gonna get a shirt from the thrift store that's for like a yeah. gas station in kansas that went out of business 10 years ago yeah, yeah exactly it's like yeah this chicken place you know i never went there but <laughs> i know it's really awesome you know um you know and i had blonde hair dude i i i had like the eminem look at this point mm-hmm. and like that's like like the shirt i went in for my interview was like this shitty collar like <laughs> 70s looking thing like it was I was such an idiot but they, I got the job um and so really at that point you know here I am now in the writer's room of Futurama which is like you know basically being on the Simpsons because yeah. uh, all those guys had just came from the Simpsons to do this and um that was my first exposure to comedy writing and animation and at that point really it was just like yes this is this is where I want to be um and um you know i worked for let's see the first two two and a half seasons of the show i got my first writing credit um at the end of season two i got to co-write an episode um with david cohen and ken keeler and um and then from there i started writing comic books uh for matt's comic book company the simpsons Mm -hmm. comics and futurama comics um and then really at that point it was animation was the thing i was i was doing so um uh, I, I spent. Uh, but were the comic it, books canon? <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Well, it's so funny because I took it so seriously too. I, I, I was, you know, especially with Futurama. Like Futurama, I had this like real like um, uh, ownership of you know because we were there. We you know we were there from day one. Mm-hmm. And um, whenever I wrote my, whenever I proposed my stories to the editor and or you know any of that that sort of thing. I always felt like I wanted, if this were, if, if this were different, it could be an episode of the show. I wanted mm-hmm. it to be that good. And I always of approached course. it with that sort of serious uh, attitude. So, yeah. Um, so yeah. So yes, I would hope that in some, in some way, somebody would look at those stories and go, yeah, this totally fits into the Futurama canon. Um, <laughs> But at that point, yeah, I mean, I was doing animation. I, you know, I worked on uh, after Futurama ended. Uh, well, I was, I went away from the show for a bit, and then came back with the show when it was on the Comedy Central run uh, in 2009 to 2013. That is when I got promoted full time as a writer, so staff writer finally. Um, that really set my career rolling along. Um, uh, after Futurama ended, I was I bounced around on a few shows. I was on Brickleberry for a second. Mm-hmm. um it did a bunch of freelance for kids shows like littlest pet shop and uh uh wander over yonder and kick Batowski and that sort of thing and then um got got another really great break in my career when uh i got a call 
Um, my agent got a call saying that the Activision was trying to turn Sky, the Skylanders video game into um, a show. And mm-hmm. do they have, would, would they have a writer who has a take on it? And my agent was like, yeah, my guy, my guy should come in and pitch his take. So I did that and they liked my take on the story. So I got to become the creator and um, EP of the Skylanders Academy show. Um, and, um, you know, that was so amazing. And, you know, to be finally be, you know, uh, mostly in charge, I wasn't all the way in charge mm-hmm. of that show, but, but, you know, I got to be, got to learn how to be a showrunner on the, on the fly. And, um, you know, uh, obviously work with all this amazing talent, you know, which has brought us to this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's the, that's my history and sort of a, uh, nutshell. <laughs> well, you know, I, oh, I love it. Thank you. That's uh, exactly what I was looking for. And and you know what's what's great is that you know as we're talking about you know being Generation X, being from the Midwest, being blue collar, all these things we have in common. Then I know you will relate to this, which is that uh, as I'm a parent now, and uh-huh. just knowing that there are people that are like one of us that are out there behind the scenes creating stuff you can just feel it. it. It's, it's visceral, you know, in the way that yeah. I, I remember being so offended as a kid talking to elementary age, mm-hmm. I could, I could tell very early on when something was dumbed down and I really oh, yeah, yeah. resented, you know, Saturday morning cartoons, whatever it was that were, that was pandering, that was patronizing, yep. you know, it was probably a bit precocious of me, but uh, I was, I'd be offended by it, you know, and then, mm-hmm. and then, so when something did cut through the noise that was, you know, I, I always, li- I always had the attitude that if you make it for a little bit older audience, the younger audience is going to aspire to, to rise up to a level to understand right. it versus right. constantly dumbing mm-hmm. things down and going downwards. And this was something that, you know, in my own career, when I became a reporter and a writer for MTV news, there was there would always oh, be this awesome. this well there'd be this culture clash of of people in management who felt that you should write towards fifteen year olds and mm-hmm. then people in management you know Tom Freston who was a, a big figure in, at MTV and I was yeah lucky enough to hear I went to a, he gave like a town hall for employees that I went to and I'm going why can't I drag everyone <laughs> else from my department in to hear this um, uh-huh. but he said something that. Someone got up and asked a question and part of the way she phrased the question, she said, you know, the 15 year olds who watch our channel and regardless of whatever her question was, he cut her off and he said, don't say that. I hate hearing that. He's like, first of all, the median age um, of our viewership is 18 to 21. And secondly, the 15 year olds who watch the channel want to be the 21 year olds. Yeah. yeah. Right to the 21 year olds, not to the 15 year olds. And that's how you'll get the 15 year olds. And it just felt so validating because that was all the way back to cartoons as a kid. That was Mm -hmm. something that I connected with, you know, and reading, you know, Chris Claremont and John Byrne, X-Men comics. And Oh yeah, for sure. I'm in fifth grade reading that stuff. And there are things that were maybe not appropriate that went over my head, which that's something that I'm trying to remember as a parent too, where it's like, why I didn't, you know, when you see Jean Grey dressed up as the Black Queen in the Hellfire Club, yeah. I, I didn't make any of those connections to what that was. All, yeah. You know, I read yeah. it now and I'm yeah. like, wow, I read that when I was 11. Um, yeah. So anyway, all of which is a long-winded way of saying that as a parent and as an adult, I appreciate so much shows like Skylanders where you, it, it's not, 
no one's talking down to the kids, you know, it's yeah. just, it's yeah. fun and it's appropriate and all of that, but it's, uh, it's smarter. And, it, and, and you can always hear that behind the scenes and, and what brings us to us having this conversation is that yeah, yeah. Uh, before we even get to James Hetfield, yeah. my, my son, who's seven now uh, was watching Skylanders and we we're, you know, binging through it and watching episodes multiple times. And, you know, I'm 46, so I recognize Bobcat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, whoa, yeah, Bobcat, yeah. awesome, you know. And, <laughs> and, and, and also, you know, when you think about how, I mean, I loved him, obviously, Police Academy, but I loved his stand-up. I loved uh, One right. Crazy Summer or something I watched yeah. again just recently. Uh, yeah. It's crazy stories about, you know, him opening for Nirvana, uh, <laughs> you know, setting the couch on fire on, on The Tonight Show all that great stuff that I associate with Bobcat. And it's, it's such a joy when you hear somebody like that, who is so subversive and is so provocative and cool and smart on a kid's show. You yeah. Know, it, it, was, yeah it was the same feeling I had uh, hearing Gilbert Gottfried in Aladdin, you know, or it's just yeah. like, <laughs> well, it's funny too, because, you know, we, we did a fair amount, as you know, we did a fair mm-hmm. amount of stunt casting with the show, you know, um, but there were, you know, Bobcat was an easy one because Bobcat did uh, uh, pop uh, mm-hmm. in the video game. Mm-hmm. And when I heard pop, when I found that out and I heard his, his performance in the game, I was like, it has to be Bobcat. Like we have to, it, we can't change this role, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, and then like hearing that Norm McDonald was down to be Glumshank, I was like, yes, of course. You know, like my, I grew up my watching number, Norm. Number yeah, one, uh, sorry, but just like I got to say, my number uh, one fine. absolute favorite all-time stand-up. I mean, you know, I love Carlin, I love Pryor, I love all the greats. Norm yeah. MacDonald is my number one yeah. living or dead stand-up community. And I, and I loved him on, I, you know, we grew up watching him on Saturday Night Live on mm-hmm. the news desk, you know? And yep. he, you know, and like, it, it was, it, you know, uh, without getting too inside baseball, for all the ups and downs of the production, you know, the best moments I, I, I take away from being a part of the show and, ha- and having the, 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 the privilege of you know, creating it and, and, and running it was, having the getting to meet those guys you know getting to work with Catherine o'hara who mm. you know and when we start recording the show she's like yeah i'm i'm doing this new show up in canada called shit's creek you know <laughs> who knows if it'll last and you're like what you know six, six years later you're like holy crap dude she's <laughs> she was talking about that yeah. you know doing our stupid little show <laughs> you know but like yeah. and then like meeting bobcat who is by the way like we have especially our generation we have this this image of this mm-hmm. dude who's just gonna walk in the room and be like ah, and be bananas the and, persona you know, yeah and he's so chill like he's he 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 you would you might not even look twice at him on the street because he's so he so keeps to himself he does he, he, he he's definitely one of the turn the switch on for the performance and then turn it off again kind of guys mm-hmm. um not, extremely nice like it just but it but, you know, again, hearkening back to, you know, uh, our generation, it was like, it was so cool to like go, oh my God, I watched you on Police Academy and I love uh, One Crazy Summer and, yeah. you know, and, like, and to now have you like across the, across the glass in the booth, you know, performing this wacky character is just, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to talk about again because uh, it reminds me of, you know, how much fun that actually The upside was. as opposed yeah. to the, yeah, the drag of behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, what can you tell me about Norm? I, you know, he's like I said, I'm he's my number one, and I, you know, him. Speaking of disruption and provocation, one of the things I appreciate even more now 
is his weekend update turn because him and Jim Downey, uh, no relation, the writer that he did most <laughs> of those jokes with. Yes, right. Their whole thing was like, we, they weren't trying to get laughs, which sounds yeah. so counterintuitive, but like yeah. they were just as excited to bum out the audience or to have an awkward silence. Oh, it was just, sure. it was yeah. so smart. And, um, yep. and that's something that, you know, I, persist in his work and again it's so great to hear his voice on a kid's show um super knowing too, that there's dude. that you know subversiveness but yeah. also he's like I, I saw him once described as a combination of an of an old man and a and a young kid and it's like so <laughs> right perfect on. you know um yeah so yeah anyway That's sorry awesome. i could talk about no no forever, no yeah. no absolutely man like he's he was he's really nice as well like just um uh yeah, well, what can, what can I tell you about? Is anything really that stuck out about him? Not really, other than just just that that just really chill, droll demeanor of his, you know. And mm-hmm. he he also was a guy that, um, you know, obviously he's different than Bobcat as a performer, but he he never really went out of his way to be funny man when he wasn't in the booth doing his thing. Um, you know, he, he you wouldn't even know probably if, if he you probably wouldn't realize he was a stand-up or a comedian in any sense if you didn't have that history of him. So, um, but it was, you know, great to have him on the show as well. And, uh, uh, you know, it was one of those things where when we made our list of, of who we wanted to play what, you know, Norm, Norm's name for Blumshanks was, um, uh, it was pretty much the top of the list because you look at that character's design and you go, what does that guy sound like? And then you think of Norm and you go, oh gosh, if we can get Norm to do it. And you know, lo and behold, we did. So it was uh, just really, really fortunate. Oh yeah. So cool. And then of course, yeah. Uh, you know, and back to our, this theme of, of disruptors, you know, Metallica <laughs> very, very famously refused to cater to radio, refused to even make a video for MTV. And then when they finally mm-hmm. made a video, it was this, you know, dialogue and darkness and yeah. literary, uh, you know, cinephile, all this, yeah. you know, incredible in that, in that sense. And it's easy to forget and the hugeness of what the band has become, right. how, how punk rock that was in that moment. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Especially in the 80s when, you know, every band wanted to be on MTV and especially the... You know, not the Metallica, they were a hair band anyway. But, right, but the metal, but, but that you, was huge then. Yeah. Yeah. You know, have chicks yeah. in your video and fast cars yeah. and, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It was, uh, uh, I just, yeah, to hearken back to talking about one at the beginning of this, man, like just what a, you know, what a, a punch in the throat to, <laughs> to, the, to the rest of the industry to go, yeah. okay, well, you can make your, you know, you know, uh, white snake style videos. And we're going to, we're yeah. going to do this thing that's just going to make people think and, you know, uh, maybe win us some awards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, the, the antithesis of, uh, you know, the sweet cherry pie video. <laughs> yeah. know, like, how can exactly. we make, how can we make exactly not that? Oh, that's bright and colorful. This is blue and gray. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly right. Um, yeah, that was the stuff that really, really, as you said, stuck to my ribs back then. Right so, um, yeah, so of course, uh, Papa Het getting James Hetfield in the mix for Skylanders. How yeah. does that, how does that, how is that thought about? How is that conceived? And then how does that executed to where it's actually pulled off? I got to tell you, man, it was pretty simple. It, again, we made this, we made this, li- we made a list for each character that we knew that we wanted to have on the show. 
So, um, you know, we came up with the idea that, you know, the villains um, were going to be like this Legion of Doom at some point mm. um, for the series. And, you know, it's going to be this kind of slow rollout of, you know, this episode is going to be this person that we meet. This person is going to be this episode that we meet and fight. But by the end of season one, they'll all have had, the, uh, had an encounter with our heroes and they'll come together around chaos and be like, yeah, we're gonna, if we all work together, then we can defeat these you know, two goody two shoe heroes. So um, they gave us uh, not not sort of a a blank slate of you can pick whoever you want. But there were there were in doing our research, you know, there were certain villains from the game that were more popular than others. And mm-hmm. and Wolfgang, you know, definitely was a um, definitely was a, a character in not only um, look. But um, the origin that like mm-hmm. just really jumped out, and we were like that guy. You know, it would be badass to have you know a, that character because he looks like he's just a gritty rock star. You know, mm-hmm. like and you know, like what what if we you know and and fun of, part of the fun of you know doing Skylanders and 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 in my history doing other shows uh, were based on IP where they you know, don't necessarily have a lot of backstory for the characters. Mm-hmm. You know, part of the fun is to look at the character and go, who is that guy? Who is that gal? You know, what, where did they come from? And so when I yep. was looking at Wolfgang, I was like, it's like, it's like not, not, not to interrupt you, but it's like Star oh, Wars, right? When there were <laughs> these characters that were just background, that was just some, you know, yes. the Wolfman costume or whatever. And then, you know, right. for decades like, now, like, there's been all these creative people coming in and going, I'm going to, you know, here's a novel yeah. about that, about that guy with the devil face in the cantina yeah like everybody <laughs> yeah. in the cantina you're like what where did they come from like you yeah. could create you could you like you said novels like you could write novels like so many stories about just those characters so um so yeah with wolfgang it was like i you know i was like i i became like kind of obsessed with this idea that he's a rock a failed rock star and you know his evil came from you know um his failure you know and he and like so it was a very kind of pure place that he was coming from in, in his wanting to seek revenge on mm-hmm. you know the, the the people that were successful in the skyland so so you're now so now we got we got this character that we know we can use so i i'm thinking to myself well who who sounds like a, a werewolf you know and who and who would yeah. who would actually of of all the successful rock and rollers and rock stars that are out there who who would be a guy that like would be a really nice fit. And Hetfield was at the top of my list. Like, you know, like, and it's not like I'm the biggest Metallica fan of all time, but I'm big enough to know, like, you know, he is a guy that like, um, like I've always admired who they are, what they do and their success. And um, his, and there's just that growl that he has Mm -hmm. when he sings. And so it was, so when I proposed it, I was like, what about, what, what if we got James Hetfield? Because not only, does it, does the guy have this not really a rock and roll star but he has this growling you know mm, angry voice grittiness yeah yeah that grittiness and also we have the opportunity and, and the show kind of dropped the ball on this but we have the opportunity to have have that guy promote the show into into his universe which is not right. kid kids television you know like mm-hmm. to have that guy be able to go out and go hey i'm on i'm on skylanders and you guys should watch and activision man eh, i won't get into it <laughs> just, it's yeah. funny with when the promotion of the show especially season one like 
like just nobody like I, I and, and I don't blame any of our actors or, or talent I, I just feel like Activision did not put an emphasis on saying hey go and promote this show for us um you know yeah. we didn't even the leads of the show you know Justin Long and um um gosh I'm drawing blanks here uh, you know uh, Justin Long we have Justin and Ashley Ashley did promoted the show. There was one more I'm forgetting. Oh, Jonathan Banks from from Bat Breaking oh, yeah. Bad. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and, and we, none of them except for Ashley did any PR for it. Wow. So you know if we yeah, I mean, and, yeah, and, and I'm also thinking uh, uh, Felicia Day and uh, Jason Ritter was in there. Yeah, Felicia. Yeah, so they were you know they came aboard later in season. Or they came aboard in season two and, and kind of stuck around later. And then it was mm-hmm. at that point that like there was a little more promotion done on their end, but like that the show had already been in, like it already it was going into season three and they knew they weren't going to pick it up for another season. So it was like too little, too late. Like yeah. you really need you need that star power to come out firing from day one mm-hmm. so that way everybody's talking about the show and it's on everyone's radar and it just didn't happen well and to your point i mean i am a huge stand-up fan and so of course mm-hmm. you know norm bobcat reese darby uh you know and i'm such a metallica fan that i host this metallica podcast uh interviews yeah. about metallica i wasn't aware that james hetfield was in the show until i was right. on the couch with my son and heard the voice and went is that james hetfield right and then you wait for the credits and you're like yes it was well yeah, and, so. and part of the and part of the problem too dude is that you know animation takes so long to make from start to finish and there was a bit of a gag order on us to not talk about the show until it actually was about to air mm-hmm. and that I think is a mistake. I think, I think, you know, you, uh, without violating, you know, too much NDA territory and, and giving too much away, I think that we should be able to, to say, Hey, um, we're doing a show. I'm not going to, oh, yeah. I'm not going to tell you too much, but look at this picture of me and James Hetfield. I was just about to say, if, there, if, if, you know? if I had seen video of, of Hetfield in the booth without huh. even knowing what the show was or what, you know, what character, how involved he was, like I would have been. Yeah. Set the Absolutely. DVR. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. You know, we would have had a whole different fan base that would not have been brought to the table otherwise. Um, yeah. You know, cause got, like, like you, dude, there's Metallica fans with kids who want to watch this. Exactly. You know, like, exactly. You know, I'm not, yeah, I'm not expecting your six-year-old or your, or my <laughs> seven-year-old to, <laughs> to know who the hell they are. But yeah. at the same time, you know, he's got kids. Hetfield has kids, you know, and exactly. it's like, and we just, it, there was this weird sort of, just weird sort of like like preciousness about like not allowing anything out until the show was actually premiered had actually premiered on netflix and then it was like yeah but but now the show's been dumped like it's all the episodes are out like it doesn't make any sense to to try to promote talk about episode and each guest and yeah yeah that's yeah especially in the things are consumed now yeah yeah Yeah, exactly right that's exactly right so you know, there were, uh, there were mistakes made. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, and I only got them. Sorry, go ahead. No, no. I was going to say as a, as a, on a, and on a positive note, as a, as a fan of animation also, I love that the show you got to work with uh, D Bradley Baker and Billy West, who are both like, those are almost like good luck charms for your, for your cartoon. (laughs) And I'll tell you some, this is a little more inside baseball. So, you know, coming from 
Futurama, you know, our main cast, you know, five, six actors all did all did the voices like you know we didn't go we didn't go to, we never really dipped our toes outside of that cast mm-hmm. when it came to doing all the different voices so when it came time to do skylanders i wasn't the biggest fan of um stunt casting you know right. like with a with a with a role like wolfgang you know that is a specific look and voice that you mm-hmm. want to get somebody like james hetfield in for but for like our leads you know you look at spyro the dragon like does that have to be Justin Long? <laughs> can't <laughs> right. that just can't can't that be Jason Ritter coming off of Gravity Falls? You know, mm-hmm. like can't can it be? So I, I was a big fan of like let's use a bunch of tried and true VO pros yeah. for our main cast, and and I was I was overruled. <laughs> <laughs> and you know we had to we went out and got some bigger names, and you know it it really is a it, it, it's very educational. It's a very educational process because you're like you, it's. You know, you can go out and get Susan Sarandon to play a villain in your show, but if she doesn't give a shit, then right. uh, and she's not going to use her clout as a, an Oscar winner, as a movie star that everybody knows to promote this thing, then who cares? You know yeah. what I mean? You yeah. can get Parker Posey. People know who Parker Posey is, but Parker Posey is not going to promote the show. If Justin Long is not going to promote the show, then is it worth stunt casting for? And that's where I defaulted. You know, I was always like let's let's get the actors who love this, these jobs and who, who yeah. just just want to do this the, the, because Ro- they the were, rob paulson's of the world and yeah. the, you know yeah and these utility and, and, utility and, people that come in and do three or four different characters i tried to get john dimaggio a lead on the show i wanted him as a ruptor john dimaggio a freaking bender yeah <laughs> and yeah. they and they said and they said he wasn't big enough name to be one of our leads and i was like Okay. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and God, uh, John is such a good dude. He came in and he, he played a different role for us, a smaller role, but that like, yeah. that was him just being a good dude and us having a relationship. But I always like that always bummed me out that like, I couldn't bring in who I knew was a rock star in the VO world to play these roles and that I didn't get trusted on that, you know? So, and you know, that's kind of, I think, uh, and again, inside baseball, right. But I think it, it, goes back to maybe Shrek, but there were certain films where once, you know, audiences, once there was an expectation of like, oh, I want to hear Brad Pitt doing the voice. Uh, right. Because, because it was like <laughs> up, until the, up until a certain moment, you know, there weren't A-list actors voicing The Little Mermaid or Beauty and the Beast or, you know, those were like cartoon actors, you know, vo- voiceover real, artists, you know. Yeah, the real turning point was Robin Williams in Aladdin. Oh, I think gosh, Ro- sure. Robin okay. Williams plays the genie. And I think mm-hmm. at that point, everybody goes, oh, holy moly, movie stars will do this. And, and, and not only that, but like, we can get them. We pay them enough. We can, we can fill out a cast with them. And, mm-hmm. and, and movies are a different beat. Like, I, I don't begrudge stunt casting so hard, especially with these bigger, bigger movie projects, you know, like I understand getting Steve Carell to play um, the bad guy in Minions, sure. uh, you know, I, especially when it comes to the comedic actors, you know, I, like guys whose voices are, 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 you know, the guys who have that comic timing, guys and gals, I should say, not just guys, but like, yeah. you know, whose voices just like totally lend themselves to, to being zany characters. I get it. I totally get it. But when you're putting, when you're making a kid's show and you're going to be on Netflix and it's going to be a binged product. At the end of the day, a kid doesn't care. You know, your right. your your sweet spot audience doesn't give a damn about 
Susan Sarandon. They don't know who that is, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it needs to be more about finding the right great person for the role as opposed to going, oh, that's a name. Here's a bunch of money. Do our show. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, I learned I learned those lessons with, with doing Skylanders. And, you know, um, uh, it's, not, it's a mistake I aim not to make again. And, um, you know, with the show that I, uh, I did a, did a series for Hasbro, which hasn't been announced yet, but um, I was steadfast in, you know, you know, we, we, we stunt cast a little bit on the show, but I, but I was really hard line about like, okay, we can put this person in this, this person in that, but I want these other rock and roll VO actors in this show because that is the people, those are the people that we can absolutely depend on to. You can, you can depend on them and they're, and they're, you know, why take food off of their table? Because that's a whole culture. Right. That's a whole, that's a right. whole specific that's a great point too. art, yep. you know, and, and why, yep. I mean, you know, it's like casting. I mean, it, you know, musicians and rappers sometimes are also stunt casting and it's like, well, couldn't you yeah. just have somebody who's a trained actor <laughs> with experience yeah. in that role, which Absolutely. isn't to say that there aren't people who are multi-talented and can do it all. But Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I really, I, I really got a crash course in this um, about 10, 15 years ago. I did, uh, I produced uh, bonus features for Lionsgate for some uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle DVD sets from the the 80s series. And um, so in the process of doing that, you know, I interviewed the voice actors for all four turtles and the late James Avery who who did Shredder and and just just meeting all of those voice actors. That's when I really started to learn about this kind of um, the the downside of of putting A-list movie stars in yeah voice acting roles so it's a slippery slope (laughs) yeah indeed indeed and there's the obvious upside uh well hasbro um without uh making you spoil anything i mean i'm thinking hasbro i'm thinking obviously gi joe and transformers but there's micronauts there's rom's Rom's space night which rom's space night got me into comic books yeah i i that was literally the first comic that i ever bought and uh and started collecting and then the x-men and spider-man and other marvel characters showing up in rom is how i broadened out into the marvel universe that's fantastic yeah but yeah there's a lot of cool stuff at hasbro so uh yeah and has and hasbro bought e1 records which bought death row records so if you ever want to make that suge knight cartoon (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that Suge Knight cartoon that all the kids are clamoring for. Yeah, exactly. So, so the adventures of Lil Suge and Dr. Dre, right? Yeah, those would be great, great, great action figures. I can see the merch line at Target. It's, it'd be great. It's funny, it's funny you mentioned Micronauts. Just sitting mm-hmm. right here, right below my, right below me here, oh. I have a bunch of old Micronauts comics hmm. that I I bought in bulk and have been uh, plowing through. So, meet. Neither here nor there. Neither right? here nor there. Just as a just a <laughs> completely unrelated totally. thread. Well, you know, I like totally. to think I like to think of these podcast episodes as evergreen. So if someone's <laughs> listening to this two years from now, they're going to be like, "Oh, uh-huh. how coy!" But uh, <laughs> they were so clever. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, well, dude, I I love it so much. Thank you so much for making the time to do this. Let's definitely stay in touch. We've obviously got a lot, dude. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. 